Welcome back to Subject Across. I'm your host, Caroline Donato. You're actually the co-host for this one. I'm okay, your host. Okay, hold on. What is the difference? Well, like, host and co-host, to me, the host is the lead and the co-host is the second chair. I see this as very even. Okay, but I'm not sure the listeners do. I would prefer to be the host on the ones that I'm leading. But I don't even... Why can't it be why I'm the host be, and I'm your other host? Well, how about I'm your co-host, Caroline Donato, and I'm your co-host, Pete Kratza. That would be fair. I guess I just don't fair. see the hierarchy like that. It's, In other words, been, it's I'm been nobody's like what? co-pilot. It's been like 40 episodes, and I'm going to tell you now, I don't like it. I want to be co-host, co-host. You want to be... Okay, so I'm going to start it again. And I'm going to say, welcome back. There's to no subject. need to start it again. We've aired our grievances. I just want to make sure I understand our boundaries. Okay. Welcome back to Subject to Cross. I'm Caroline. I'm your co-host, Caroline Donato. And I'm your co-host, Pete Kratz. Why did it take you four years to tell me how you felt? Has it been four years? Yes. I don't know. It almost has been five years. Why did it take you well, so long? I sometimes I do call myself the host when you let me talk first, which is rare. <laughs> All right. What we're going to talk about, we're going to pivot and talk about current events. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, my mother, my relatives, and my friends a lot of times will ask me about cases that are like the trials that are on like uh, Netflix or, you know, things that are, are happening. The Myrtle, 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 the, the guy in South Carolina. You're not going to help me at all, are You're you? You're the host. Yeah. Well, the point is that I don't really follow them all that often. Um, you get so wrapped up in your own cases um, that I don't know that you necessarily want to pay attention to to those uh, those cases. You know what? Thank you for validating me because oftentimes people do that to me too, and and I'll be like, I don't, I don't know. I'm in the middle of like a real one right, right now. That's mine, and that's my client's. Re- I'm responsible well, for that client. We expend so much energy, um, time, and energy, you know, on this during work hours. That a lot of times the last, <laughs> last thing I want to do is necessarily, uh, you know, follow somebody else's stuff. Unless, but unless they retain us. With that being said, um, I am going to talk about two current events. We're going to see if it's interesting or not. Um, one is the Alec Baldwin case. And I'm pretty sure our listeners know the circumstances of this case. Basically, he was in New Mexico filming a Western and uh uh, apparently rehearsing with a gun, which was uh, supposed to be filled with blanks. And unfortunately and tragically, it was not. Somebody died. Somebody got um, injured seriously because he fired the gun in the context of a rehearsal. I want to start by just reading this NPR article because I want everybody to think I'm really smart and read NPR all the time. This is from January 31st. Uh, it's actually an Associated Press article or reprinted uh, on NPR. Alec Baldwin pleads not guilty to involuntary manslaughter in fatal film set shooting. Um, Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, Baldwin has pleaded. I'm not going to read the whole article. Baldwin has pleaded not guilty to an involuntary manslaughter charge in the fatal shooting of a cinematographer during a rehearsal on a movie set in New Mexico. Baldwin, the lead actor and a co-producer, remember that, Caroline, because it could be important, on the Western movie Rust, was pointing a gun at cinematographer. A grand jury in Santa Fe 
indicted Baldwin in January after prosecutors received a new analysis of that gun, renewing a charge that prosecutors originally filed and then dismissed in April of 2023. Baldwin, Baldwin faces up to 18 months in prison if convicted. Baldwin has said he pulled back the hammer, but not the trigger, and the gun fired. Haliana, that's the, I might be mispronouncing her name, she's the decedent, and I had something profound in common, and that is that we both assumed the gun was empty, other than those dummy rounds, Baldwin told George Stephanopoulos in an interview broadcast in December of 2021 on ABC News. Would you have your client giving interviews on ABC News? Absolutely not. The grand jury indictment provides special prosecutors Morrissey and Lewis with two alternative standards for pursuing the felony charge against Baldwin. One, negligent use of a firearm. And two, Baldwin caused the death of Hutchins without due caution or, quote, circumspection, end quote, also defined as, quote, an act committed with total disregard or indifference for the safety of others, end quote. An analysis of the, analysis of the gun conducted by forensic experts in Arizona concluded, quote, that the trigger had to be pulled or depressed sufficiently to release the fully cocked or retracted hammer of the evidence revolver, end quote. However, an earlier FBI report on the agency's analysis of the revolver found that, as is common with firearms of that design, it could go off without pulling the trigger if enough force was applied to an uncocked hammer. Morrissey and Lewis, the prosecutors, dismissed the earlier charge after they were informed the gun might have been modified before the shooting and malfunctioned. Uh, it goes on to say that the grand jury heard from a crew member who was a few feet from the fatal shooting and another who walked off the set before the shooting in protest of working conditions, apparently didn't think the working conditions were safe. Um, Rust weapons supervisor, or I think they're called armorers, armorers, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed also has been charged with involuntary manslaughter with a jury trial scheduled to start February 22nd. She has pleaded not guilty to that charge and a second charge of tampering with evidence. Gutierrez-Reed also was charged with carrying a gun into a downtown Santa Fe bar days before she was hired to work as the armorer on rust. The fatal shooting of Hutchins resulted in a series of civil lawsuits, including wrongful death claims filed by members of Hutchins' family, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, Rustus Assistant Director and Safety Coordinator David Halls pleaded no contest to unsafe handling of a firearm last March, received a suspended sentence of six months of probation, and agreed to cooperate. So, a uh, lot to unpack there. <clears throat> Excuse me, lost my voice for a minute. One, involuntary manslaughter. Of course, we have that charge in Pennsylvania as well. I compared uh, New Mexico and Pennsylvania. Of course, there are similarities and differences. One of the things that I think listeners need to understand, when, when something's called a felony, and in uh, New Mexico, this case is called a felony of the fourth degree, that doesn't necessarily mean that is a worse charge than our involuntary manslaughter, which is a misdemeanor. Ours is actually worse. It is. Ours is a misdemeanor of the first degree, which is punishable by up to five years in prison and a $10,000 fine. The felony of the fourth degree in New Mexico is only punishable by up to 18 months 
and a $5,000 fine. So it's kind of interesting when people say, I can't take the felony, can't take the felony. Then they might find out, you know what, I prefer the felony to the misdemeanor. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, elements of the, of the statute, not to get too deep in the weeds, but basically hearkening back to a prior episode. See, I'm looping. I'm looping. That's really good. Yeah. I'm really impressed. I did it, I did it the host. last episode, too. Thanks. I'm a co-host. Um, same thing as when we talked about murder on our minds. Uh, manslaughter is a killing without malice, as it is in Pennsylvania. Um, and malice, is, as the listeners will remember, is wickedness of disposition, hardness of heart, and it, it involves an intentional killing. This is an unintentional killing. In New Mexico, in addition to the negligent use of a firearm, um, it is involuntary manslaughter if while doing a lawful act, which might produce death in an unlawful manner, or without due caution and circumspection. So here, they're alleging he was doing a lawful act, you know, being an actor with a gun, but he acted without due caution and circumspection. The theory of the Commonwealth, I'm sorry, of the New Mexico uh, authorities would seem to be. Are they the state? <clears throat> the state, I guess. That, um, that he, that is Baldwin, needed to ensure that the gun wasn't filled with uh, real bullets before he started rehearsing. Um, a lot of interesting sideline uh, or, or side stories here. The Actors Guild, I read it in one of these things, let's see. His union, um, SAG-AFTRA, S-A-G-A-F-T-R-A, the union representing film, television, and radio workers came to his defense, rebutting the original prosecution. This is after he was charged the first time. Rebutting the original prosecution team's contention that as an actor, he was responsible for ensuring the gun he was using on the set was safe to handle. The union released a new statement after the latest indictment saying that the idea an actor should be expected to inspect a firearm is an, quote, incorrect assessment of the actual duties of an actor on set, end quote, and pointing to a set of industry guidelines called safety bullet number one, quote, Performers trained to perform, and they are not required or expected to be experts on guns or experienced in their use, end quote. The union statement said, quote, the industry assigns that responsibility to qualified professionals who oversee their use and handling in every aspect. That's, by the way, that's from a New York Times article uh, of January 31st. So, Caroline. Yes, Pete. How would you defend that case? Well, I wouldn't be making statements to the media as Mr. Baldwin's attorney. And well, or Mr. Baldwin. Or I mean, that's like a let, Sandusky well, moment. You didn't even let yeah. me finish mm. a thought. You're very excited. Sorry, it's the coffee. I wouldn't let Mr. Baldwin make any statements. In cases that involve any sort of allegation, I think it's really important to do your own defense investigation and keep that confidential while you gather the evidence from the other side. Because I think there is some evidence on the other side here that was used against Mr. Baldwin. I think um, this is the second bite at the apple. This is a grand jury indictment. And I think some facts that came out of the initial allegation and maybe were I don't know. Um, Exculpatory? 
not just exculpatory, maybe inculpatory or twisted a little bit are now being used against him. Here's what I don't like. And here's, if I had to guess, maybe some grand jurors didn't like. I don't like that he's a producer. Right. And that's I, and in one of the articles, another article might have been from the Boston Globe. I'm a subscriber to the Boston Globe, by the way. Great newspaper. Um, You're so smart. You they, subscribe and read so many things. Santa Fe-based defense attorney and former prosecutor John Day, who was not connected to the case, believes the indictment gives prosecutors a possible opportunity to address Baldwin's safety obligations as a co-producer. All right. Here's the, come on. Can I can I tell you what you the right answer me is? A question. All right. I'm fine. not. I'm not done. All right. All right. My defense preparation takes time. Okay. And and you know me. I just want to argue. You just want to argue, but me, mm -hmm. I want to. I want to know everything before I'm arguing because I want that argument to be ironclad. Okay. What I also don't like is that there's even dummy rounds in there. I just don't like it. I don't know what it means, and I I don't know how that translates. I don't like that a hammer was pulled back. I don't like that he pointed the gun at anyone. I don't like that people walked off set in protest of the safety. I don't like that there's an expert for the state involved interpreting what all of this means. And I don't like that my client is out there talking and maybe some lawyers have been talking without their own expert interpreting what this means. Ultimately, I think it's important to keep a defense close to the chest for as long as possible because an investigation from the prosecution can take a long time. New evidence can come to light. The prosecution can backfill. So my defense strategy would be different. It would be to investigate everything, see the evidence against him, get our own expert, understand Mr. Baldwin's perspective and prepare for trial. And to the extent there's any room for negotiation, explore that when the time is appropriate but i think litigating it in the media is dangerous right and you know I, the sandusky case is a primary example of that when he gave the interview i guess on like abc or something and it was just a train wreck but in addition to that you know first of all i'm sure i mean i like his movies but i'm sure alec baldwin has a huge ego and he may be given those interviews notwithstanding the advice of his lawyers um, but in this case, uh, you know, we don't handicap cases. I would characterize this, however, as a very strong defense case for two reasons. Primarily that the FBI analyzed the gun and that report will come in to his trial. They said that a firearm of that, you know, that, that um, design can fire if you just hold the hammer. But then as the producer... He shouldn't have even had that firearm on site. I think you're getting very attenuated in terms of trying to establish the elements of the offense. No, um, no, no, no. You know, the recklessness, you know. Um, I'm sitting as without a juror. Introspection. I'm sitting as a juror with a body in front of me. But you're going to be instructed on the what the prosecution needs to establish as elements of the crime. It's an unlawful act with recklessness. And he's an actor. All right, he's a co-producer too. He hired an armor. He's, he should rely on an armor that when you you know you have a prop on a on a set this this happened geez do you remember the you know, it's oh my god i'm gonna date myself there was a movie the crow and jason lee was an actor it was a great soundtrack by the way we're talking like 80s maybe 90s and he was killed on a movie set um by a firearm 
I don't remember if it was like a projectile that left the firearm, not necessarily a live round, but it killed him. This is an occupational hazard. If you're going to be in all these movies and, um, you know, our gun culture. What? Did she sign a waiver? Did she know that? Uh, I don't know. But the point is, to me, if I'm defending Alec Baldwin, the thing I lead with is, one, that FBI um, report, two, the fact that they withdrew based on that FBI report. Then they backfilled and found another expert to say, oh, no, 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 the FBI's wrong, ladies and gentlemen. The FBI's wrong. We're right. Two, pin it on the armorer. The armorer's running around town <laughs> with a gun and a bar. The armorer is hired to ensure safety. Why are we charging actors? But I understand your concern, co-producer. No, no, no. Okay, and I'm, not, and I'm not saying that I disagree with you. Don't you don't like and, Alec Baldwin. No, I think he's just fine. Oh, okay. I have no problem with Mr. Baldwin. Do you remember when he was in the press and they, his ex-wife had recorded him calling his daughter like a pig or something like that? I, I don't remember that. Yeah. Uh, so that hasn't colored my impression okay. of him for purposes of That would of be Wadir, though. That would be Wadir in the trial. It sure would. Yeah. And I'm not saying I, I don't think there's a defense here or a strong defense, but the way you present this strong defense is almost blind to, I think the prosecution does have something to say and does have a leg to stand on. And this is the second prosecution. And there's no way to avoid the media of this. There's not one juror who's going to sit in that box who hasn't been touched by this story at least once. And you have a dead body and she's a sympathetic body. And there was no reason for this to happen. I think those are really risky things going into a trial. So I don't think you take it lightly. Yeah, I'm not saying you take it lightly, but I think he's going to be acquitted. You want to bet? I don't want to bet. Okay. Um, let's talk about another current case. Okay. And this kind of delves into, um, uh, nicely dovetails into um, your concern about Baldwin um giving public statements oh, in advance one, of being charged. This one made me so wince. this is the case of Carter Hart, who was a, a goalie for the, uh, I guess he's still considered a, a member of the Flyers, although um, he's on leave. He and three or four other uh, NHL and uh, one guy I think plays in Europe, they're accused of a sexual assault 2018 in Canada when they were on the world junior team. Um, and this allegation was an, as best I can tell, um, it was settled in, um, geez, like 2021 by the, um, but I don't know if it's by the NHL or whoever was responsible for these guys. Uh, the woman saw $3.55 million in damages and dropped the lawsuit after reaching a settlement with Hockey Canada. So she alleges that the assault occurred in 2018. I don't know when she made the allegation or when it came to light, but she settled that allegation in approximately 2021. The NHL then opens their investigation in 2022, and they've they've done an internal investigation that they say they will release. Um, and now, 2024, these uh, young men are charged criminally with uh, with sexual assault. And listeners should keep in mind, notwithstanding the fact that you settle a civil suit, and there could be like a handshake agreement that. 
you know, that the complainant isn't going to affirmatively go to the police. They, and we learned this in the Cosby case, um, the complainant can't bound, bind law enforcement. So law enforcement picked this up. Now these guys are charged with sexual assault. Um, interesting to me, a couple things. Um, in Canada, I don't think that they have a crime that they call rape anymore. I think it's just called sexual assault. And I got this from the University of Lethbridge. Are you familiar with the University of Lethbridge? Yes, I did give you this and you didn't read it. In Canada, the criminal code defines sexual assault as... Excuse me, it's not in my packet. Okay. You sound like uh, my son with his uh, homework. <laughs> Quote, any unwanted sexual act done by one person to another or sexual activity without one person's consent or voluntary agreement. Um, Department of Justice, 2010. And um, Section 271, sexual assault occurs if a person is touched in any way that interferes with their sexual integrity. This includes kissing, touching, intercourse, and other sexual activity without his or her consent. Then there's sexual assault with a weapon. And then there's uh, aggravated sexual assault if the person is wounded, maimed, disfigured, beaten, or in danger of losing his or her life while being sexually assaulted. And I think somewhere in here it says, yeah, uh, before Canadian laws changed in 1983, with the passing of Bill C-52, rape was defined at the time in Section 143 of the Criminal Code. Um, so I think this replaced my the way I read this is that this replaced rape. They just have one offense of sexual assault with varying degrees. The allegation in this case, by the way, is that she was taken upstairs to a, a hotel uh, in a hotel to a room. Um, she alleges that. Uh, uh, she was 20 years old at the time. She says a man identified only as John Doe 1 took her from a bar to a hotel room and invited seven other people into the room to for perform undisclosed sexual acts, intimidating her and preventing her from leaving. The woman said in the lawsuit, the men directed her to take a shower and asked her to say on video that she was sober. And then she sought $3.55 million, got that. And then the NHL investigated in 2022. In Pennsylvania, um, we have a sexual assault statute, but we also have a, a rape statute. It sounds here, though, that this would be equivalent to our sexual assault um, statute, the, the allegations here, because they're not alleging force, as far as I can what tell in the article. What about an unconscious person or, or somebody unable to give consent because of... Isn't that 3121 It could be. The only... The only the only public statements th so far are that they're charged with one count of sexual assault. However, the authorities are going to give a press conference. We're recording this on a Friday. On Monday, they're going to give a press conference. For all I know, now I think about it, the sexual assault uh, allegation could be that force was used. But I read these articles in the context of it was sex without consent, which would I, be the first section of that. My concern would also be it would be so... In our rape statute, there's also a person commits a felony of the first degree when the person engages in sexual intercourse with a complainant, this is 3121A3, who is unconscious or where the person knows that the complainant is unaware that the sexual intercourse is occurring. Because this came from a bar setting, I would have some concerns with some right. similar allegation there. I think that would still fall under their section 271, which is no consent. I don't think they differentiate unconscious and capable of giving consent. You know, that, wor that wormhole that we're constantly uh, uh, in, 
they have without consent, with a weapon, or the equivalent of rape, assaulted, wounded, maimed, Got disfigured. It. So they would basically kind of, need some forceful compulsion to make it. I think it's a rape equivalent. It's a pretty cool. Well, I mean, you know, these are awful allegations, but the way they have this statute now in Canada, if the University of Lethbridge is accurate, and I assume they are, um, is is it makes sense. You know, um, you have one statute, sexual assault, and you decide which uh, section of the statute um, uh, applies. But I digress. We're, I'm going to ask you how you defend this. Okay. But I also wanted to commend the lawyers who represent some of these guys because their statements are absolutely appropriate, brief, and exactly the type of statements that we issue to the press when we have clients. And we have had some clients who are not necessarily NHL uh, hockey players, but are higher profile and or are going to get a lot of local coverage based upon the allegations, particularly in a sex assault case. This is the, uh, the lawyers for, for Carter Hart. And they posted this on Twitter. I refuse to call it X. We act for Carter Hart and confirm he has been charged with one count of sexual assault. He is innocent and will provide a full response to this false allegation in the proper forum, a court of law. Until then, we have no comment. Perfect, right? Well, while you're thinking about it, Greenspan Partners, they represent... Uh, Cal Foote. I can confirm that my client Cal Foote was charged with sexual assault. Cal is innocent under the charge and will defend himself against the allegations to clear his name. What is most critical at this time is the presumption of innocence and the right to a fair trial that everyone in Canada is entitled to. As the matter is before the court, I ask that Cal's and his family's privacy be respected. There will be no further comment at this time. That was almost good. Like, almost perfect to me. What was wrong with it? So... I guess where I get stuck is I'm a little more mindful of a couple of things. From the outset of a case, before you have all of the information, you don't know how it's going to turn out. And I also don't want to be responsible for tainting a jury pool. I just don't. So instead of all these uh, proclamations of innocence, I do like... I can confirm that my client, Cal Foote, was charged with sexual assault. Cal will defend himself against this allegation. What is most critical at this time is the presumption of innocence and the right to a fair trial that everyone in Canada is entitled to. As the matter is before the court, I ask that Cal's and his family's privacy be respected. There will be no further comment. I'd like that. But to go a step beyond and say exactly the outcome... What do you mean? Like false allegations and he's innocent? I like the presumption of innocent. I like you're going to defend. You're going to defend it in a court of law and not litigate it in the media. I like that you're going to conduct your own collateral defense investigation. Do your due diligence. Do it in a court of law, ultimately, and not in the media. No further comment. That's all fine. I don't want to be responsible for possibly tainting a jury pool. When you're doing voir dire, has anyone heard of this? I don't want a juror to raise their hand. And so I saw McElroy Harvey's comment on Twitter where Caroline Donato posted this. And then that potential could get yeah, jurors out. I don't know. I mean, you have to anticipate, and we see it all the time, the prosecutors are going to issue this incendiary report. They're not so careful with their words. 
And to me, especially if you're representing somebody high, high profile, like in Canada, I mean, they're, you know, they're the equivalent, I guess, of our football or baseball players. They're going to want you to be a little bit more aggressive than that. And I don't think it's overly aggressive. I think it was tasteful. It was brief. And I liked both statements. I liked them just tweaked a little, a little bit. And I think you can say the same thing, but in a different way with maybe just a couple less words. So how do you defend it? Just give me some bullet points. I got them. I want to see if you get them all. Okay. Well, I want all of, if there were, I, I don't know what that lawsuit looked like. I want everything from it. How about the fact that you got 3.55 million? I want to see everything related to this lawsuit. Mm -hmm. I want to see every recorded police interview. I want to know if there was a rape kit conducted. I want to know when that initial complaint was made. I want to know who all the prompt complaint, if there are any witnesses, are. I want to know about her reputation. I want to know what she's been doing. I know. I want to know what her motive is. I want to know if this is true. I want to know what my client has to say to me. I want to know what there might come out of any joint defense conversations with the other co-defendants. And after all of that, then I can prepare a defense strategy for trial. So you hit everything. Oh, and character evidence. Character evidence, clients. exactly, because you're going to be able to get. I want to pack that courtroom with, and have a line around with, the NH, door. with NHL hockey players who are rock stars in Canada. Um, you know, it could be a who's who of character evidence. Plus, but you, you want have to be careful of that. You want to be careful with how you present character evidence with you with these rock stars in the face. They can. Yeah, these are rock stars, and she got three point five five million. And now it's six years later and they're being prosecuted. And if there's no prompt report here, um, again, strong defense case in my in my estimation. Not to mention you didn't hit on the tape. She's claiming that this tape where she says she oh, was yeah. sober. Well, that's part of the evidence. I yeah. want to see that evidence. I want to know who did that recording. I want to know if that's They have true. the wherewithal to do that. That sounds just asinine. Exactly. But we know, we have, we have experienced... And I'll say this very generally, how when you represent people who are in the media, mm -hmm. when it comes to, you know, the, the allegations themselves just get media attention. Mm -hmm. And then it, it gathers a lot of some a lot in our cases, support for our clients. That can be the Commonwealth or the state can twist that to be this jury needs to be the support for this victim. So just how how we have presented that support really matters in a credible way, not to attack somebody making this allegation, but to attack the allegation itself as being untrue. You know what else I noticed? What did you notice, Pete? That, I don't know, there's like four or five uh, of them that are charged. Everyone. Where's but, the, wasn't there seven? Well, they didn't charge all of them. They only I charged like not. four I or five. I want to know what those other two have to say. Mm -hmm. we got to get our investigator. In. Yeah. Um, just about every one of them has a team, male and female lawyers. It's interesting that that's like the approach to defending. Hmm. You know, you and I try these together. It's we not because we're to be male and yeah, female. <laughs> but I do think it helps. I, I think that it, you're male. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think it helps if if the allegation involves a female victim. Uh, generally speaking, I think it helps. Well, you know, the way we approach most of the time. You cross. I, you know, but we don't do that just because of gender. There have been cases where you cross-examined the complainant, mm -hmm. and it went great. 
it just I think it really just depends on the case and the witness and who would be most effective in that position. That's true. In the last couple, it, we decided I, it was me. I also think that it's bad optics when you have a male defendant and you have five male lawyers and then you have the, the female victim. I think that it's helpful um, to have diversity in gender think, on the defense side. I think it's helpful to have diversity everywhere. Oh, well, that's beautiful. Um, okay, that's uh, that's all um, um, that I had to say about those two current cases. So as your co-host number one, um, I will say, uh, let's see, I don't want to mess this up. Any uh, emails go to subject to cross at com. That's compelling. And thank you, Caroline, <laughs> anything else to say? No, signing off. All right.